Welcome to Comfortably Uncomfortable, Not Another Running Story. Thanks for joining us. We don't do small talk here. When we get outside and slightly uncomfortable, we get real, and we aim to continue these conversations here on this podcast. My name is Megan Fanning, and I'm the owner of Zendurance Now Coaching, and I'm joined by Sean Meehan, one of our coaches. Let's talk, let's get uncomfortable, and let's see where the conversation goes. The information in this podcast represents the views and opinions of Zendurance Now only. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice or treatment. We may be right, we may be wrong. Either way, be a solid human. If you're thinking about making a questionable decision, please seek out a qualified medical or psychological professional. Hey, Sean, how's it going? It's going, Meg. How are you doing? Well, I'm kind of glad that I've been... um, I guess I'm sort of jumping in, but I'm really glad that I, I had this surgery January 17th and having another surgery April 1st. But in retrospect, I'm really glad we did this over winter because I can handle not being outside for the winter. Um, I'm not a winter person, but I think if this were if this were summertime or springtime, uh, it would be awful. I'd be I'd be absolutely miserable. Yeah, I uh I'm just a big bitch and I run on the treadmill half the, half the winter. Well, you also have weird hours though. And that's why I think, I mean, everybody complains about, about the treadmill and this and that, but I just think it's a tool. I mean, I, I don't ever want to run on the treadmill, but if it's dark outside, if it's icy, it's, you know, you, you can't miss a workout and that, and you know, that'll just keep you going. For sure. For sure. All right. So, so what Sean, are we doing here? We, Yeah, we're doing this podcast because we figured we are able to have really good conversations when we're outside and, you know, run, bike, swim, surf, stand up paddleboard, hiking, climbing, whatever it is. I find it really cool when we just we're able to get outside and we start talking. There's absolutely no small talk. Um, I don't do small talk. I'm a bit of a, I'm actually, I'm a lot of an introvert. I was going to say a bit, but that was just kind of a lie. <laughs> um, I don't do small talk. Uh, I don't, I just think it's a waste of time. And I really like talking to people when stuff is real. And I don't know why, but somehow when we get outside and we're on a run, I feel like we're able to let that barrier down and we're more real than we would be if we were like having coffee with each other or talking on the phone. I mean, we did just talk about the weather for about five minutes, so I don't know about the small yeah, talk. Yeah, but it was it, but it was with <laughs> a bit of sarcasm. So, so dry, sarcastic humor is my thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it just, I don't know. I just, I just feel like I don't have time. I don't have time for it in my life. And I'm really craving that, that realness and just a genuine conversation because I think you and I, you and I disagree quite a bit, but we can talk about it. We can talk about it. And, um, one of us might be, one of us might be an ass. Um, but we're still fine. We just sort of shrug our shoulders and go, Okay, but that's I think that's what happens when we spend so much time with each other in an outside setting. I don't know. Yeah, I think I mean, I think disagreement's good. I think it's uh, helps get a better understanding of pretty much how everyone is a group feels you get you get a more balanced opinion. Once you start listening to whatever little echo chamber you live in, 
Um, I think everything gets like very, um, very skewed in one direction as opposed to realizing that maybe the asshole on the other side of the argument is not such an asshole. <laughs> well, it's, I think we walk such a fine line because a lot of people can't discuss can't discuss certain things without making it very personal and um, you're a jerk and it's all your fault and how could you not agree with me? And it takes it, it, it takes a little bit of effort to to step aside and actually learn from somebody who is who is different from you. And I think you and I are a lot alike. So I don't mean that in, in referring to you, but I just want to find a medium to be able to continue those conversations and, and see what, you know, and see what we can come up with. We're going to solve all the world's problems, Megan. I have utter confidence in that. Oh, totally. Absolutely. I mean, by noon, but I had a, I had a deadline for noon. You okay Excellent. with that? Noon time it is. So we were talking before the podcast and I was dumbfounded. I, how could you not remember how we met? Isn't, this isn't like burned in your brain. I have lots of brain damage, Megan. Lots and lots of brain damage. Yeah, so do I though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my husband, Bill met you. Um, and I don't remember where you guys met. Um, but my husband, Bill met you. And then I think you were looking for, you were looking for coaching. And so Bill recommended me. And Bill said to me, ah, you know, I met this really cool guy and I like him and I think you'll like him. Um, and most of the athletes that we take, I, I want to say, I don't know, what, 99% of the athletes that, that we take at Zendurance now, we know. We don't, you and I don't do a lot of advertising. We don't do a ton of marketing. Um, and, it's, and it's all by word of mouth. So this is typically how we get athletes. So, so cool. I'm like, all right. So I think you reached out to me. And then we ended up having coffee in Starbucks and, you know, I'm doing, you know, have my normal coach hat on, but I think the weird part about that meeting was, I think you and I actually talked for two hours, which I don't ever think I've done, um, an initial consult with an athlete that was that long. So, and, and at the end, I think I remember, I don't know if I said this to you at Starbucks or maybe I said it to you afterwards, but I remember saying, I don't think I can coach you. We're you too did. much alike. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I, it, and you're the only person I've ever said that to. Like, we're, we're too much alike because I said we're, and, and I didn't know you, but in retrospect, it seems, it seems very profound of me. But I think if I had ended up coaching you, I see us, I would, I would see us really butting heads. But I think the good news is, is that what it's been, uh, six years, I think it's been six years and you and I get coaching advice from each other all the time. It just had to be, I think the relationship just had to be different. It wasn't the, it wasn't the normal like coach athlete, like, oh yeah, you know, we can do this. And it just felt like, huh, this is interesting. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I think I recommended you to my coach at the time. Um, you did, yeah. Yep, and then and then we stayed in touch, and ah, God, it had to be 
it was probably a year or so later. Um, and I don't know how you ended up coaching for Zendurance now. I know it was when, right after my bicycle crash, um, when I was still really sick. So speaking of brain damage, this could explain how I brought you on. <laughs> um, but you ended up, you ended up coaching for Zendurance now. And I don't know whether you approached me or I approached you. Can't, I think you approached me. Do you remember that? Uh, like I said, I don't remember a lot. Um, I do think, <laughs> well, I think you said to me, I think you said, I'm looking for a coach that has, you know, possibly you, I think you've been looking for, had a, been looking for a, um, more of a triathlon specific coach for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I have, you know, a pretty extensive swimming background, no real cycling background. And I was like, well, I have, you know, a good swimming background. I feel confident coaching in regards to swim training and stuff like that and long distance training. And, um, I think we had some discussions on it and. I think at that point you said, sure, let's do this. Yeah. So, and, and look, it's been, um, been good times ever since. <laughs> yeah. So I've been coaching I mean, with you. Really, it, I think really it has, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. been coaching with you since 2016, I think at that point. So yeah. I think we met a little before 2016 and probably within, mm -hmm. um, within a year, um, I was working under the umbrella of endurance now as a coach yeah yeah good times and sean and i we've also we've also paced each other and uh incurred for each other in races too which i think boy you want to talk about like getting real really fast um that'll do it too that's a good way to get to know somebody really quickly when you're out in the woods for you know a couple hundred miles you know it'll it'll bring some barriers down Yes, as long as you have my green socks. Oh, God. <laughs> well, if you've never if you've never coached or paced or crewed um, somebody, when when people are doing endurance events, we become it's almost like taking care of a sick child, right? That's that's how I always think about it, and we become prima donnas. Like we need we need what we need. Um, in order to, um, you know, in order to be able to do what we're doing for you, was it green socks? No, green I think it was. Socks gray, I think it was. Gr I think it was gray socks is what it was. I ended up with. Um, <laughs> I think uh, you couldn't find neither. No one could find them in the bag, and um, <laughs> I ended up with whatever pair was the next available pair. So. But you did really well in that race. So so maybe the socks that we gave you were a good alternative to the to the green ones you were seeking. Yeah, that was my, that's my hundred mile PR. I mean, granted the course in that hundred mile is very conducive to running a PR and, but it still counts. So, yeah, it still counts. So Sean, I tell, how did you, how did you even get into this really weird world that we're in and this weird world that you know, that we're talking about is endurance sports. Um, I don't think either of us is limited to, to one sport, which, which is good, but how did you, how did you get into this kind of endurance family that we're in? So for me, I grew up swimming competitively and, um, kind of drifted away from that when I 
found uh, booze and bitches, and uh, then uh, <laughs> and then, anyways, life life took go. its life took its turns, and I uh, <laughs> straight kind of straightened myself out. Um, joined the Navy. I was in the Navy for eight years. Got out of the Navy. Um, found myself in a new job with like a wife and a kid on the way. And I went from being pretty active every day to sitting on my ass and eating fast food and getting gross. And um, I was looking for something to do that would be convenient and easy and not take a ton of time. And so um, I started running and the um, addictive personality that I have deep down inside just continued to grow and grow and grow until I was like, you know what? Running 250 miles at a shot, that seems like a good fucking plan. And so that's how I'm here now. I like it. I love what how about- it was easy easy and simple for you. That's what you were looking for, this easy and simple life. Absolutely. So what about you? Um. I can remember doing my first race um, with my dad at six years old. My dad, um, my dad's a runner and there was like family fun run or something like that at the local track. And we would go do those races. I think they were once a week. Um, Don't remember how far they, they were, but I just remember, you know, that's when I started and that's what I did. And the way I grew up, my my parents really encouraged, um, and I'm using the word encouraged, but it's really forced. <laughs> they just forced us to be outside. We weren't, my brother and I, on a nice day, they would kick us out. And I grew up on many acres, so we just went into the woods and kept ourselves busy all day. <laughs> just ran just ran around and, and did whatever. And I began, you know, I ran track, um, and, and did a lot of sports, you know, in uh, elementary and high school. And I had a really awful uh, college running career. Uh, but it, it just it's just something that stuck with me. And in, in regard to doing long distance, I always did them. Right. Like I I didn't know that I didn't know it was a thing. So I would just go out and run. So I did my first marathon. Oh, goodness just by myself, just like total Forrest Gump style. I just felt like running. And that's how I did my first ultra too. It took me a while to find like this endurance community and this family that we have. Um, Boy, I don't think I found like official ultra races until, gosh, it was after my last child was born. So probably, uh, you know, I don't know, 12 years ago. And that's when I, I did my first, my, the first ultra I ever did, um, was run for the fallen and we ran every mile, uh, every mile was for a service member, um, that had been killed in combat. So it just seemed the least I could do. And I was doing this race and, you know, we'd get to certain points and there would be placards on the side of the road and family members, you know, with flowers and different things that, that reminded them of their loved one. And I remember them, you know, we'd stand there and listen to what they had to say um, about about their about their family member. And they would actually they actually thanked me for running. And it seems so insane. 
I, how could they, how could they thank me for running? I mean, this is the least I can do is, is run a mile for, for somebody that's, for somebody that's been killed. And I was really just moved. And I said, look, I said, I remember talking to one family member and I said, I can't do a lot of things really well, but one thing I can do is run long distances. So if I can run a couple miles, which I think that race, we ended up doing 57 miles. Um, there were 53 service members, but we got lost. So, so um, but it, if I could run just to make a family member feel some comfort or just provide any peace and just let them know that, you know, their loved one was remembered, then then geez, why aren't I running? That's, that's what I can do. And, and I did that and I was hooked. I was hooked. I, I was really surprised. I remember running that first ultra and then we finished and I was dead tired and got some food, got something to drink. And then the organizer, organizers of the event said, Hey, we're all going to run a mile around the track holding the flag and, and a bunch of veterans and family members were joining us. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to run another mile. Are you kidding me? I just ran 57. But then I sort of looked up and I'm like, seriously, like, you're not like, like okay, loser, you're not going to do this with, with these family members. Um, and you know, in injured, you know, soldiers and, and Marines. And I, so I, I sucked it up and I did and I, and I was running that mile and I thought, huh, I said, I feel pretty good. Like I could actually keep running. And that was the, that was the point where I was like, I can actually do this. I ran 57 miles. That last mile was easy peasy. I could do it again. And so the story goes. Right on. Yeah. I, um, it was when you were talking about it and talking about like falling into the sport of like running, like, I think like before Facebook, I wonder like how those groups like meshed up and like how people like found out that there was like a Vermont 100 or there was a Western States 100 or that people would run a hundred miles. It's like such a crazy concept. I mean, even now with like such, I guess, social media attention on the sport of ultra running and how it's grown and exploded over the past, you know, eight to 10 years, there's still such a small community that it exists. And like talking to someone outside of that community, if you're saying to someone like, oh, I'm gonna go and run a hundred mile race, to them, it's no different than saying, I'm gonna go run a 10 mile race because they have no concept of what that distance really is. And so it always like, I'm always like super grateful that like the world of Facebook existed and I could find like different people. Like I, like I said, I, that's how I, essentially that's how I found Bill and found you is because I was training for a uh, death race and uh, Bill was signed up for it at the time. And we like had kind of like met up in the forums for that. That's and we're gonna... how you met. Okay. Got it. Uh, okay. I did. I don't think I remembered that. So it's, that's like, to me, that's like such a crazy thing is like, I would love to hear the stories of like, you know, like AJW or like Jurek, like back in the day, like trying to figure out like where these races are and how these races like existed in these communities and stuff like that. So I was coaching, I was coaching a woman when I lived in Connecticut and at the time she was in her seventies and 
um, we were we were getting her on the podium. However, I so enjoyed running with her because any ultra race, any of the, you know, old school ultra races, you know, you name, you know, Western States or or, um, you know, JFK, all those. She's done them and, and she's in her 70s. So we actually I have had this conversation with her. And what she told me was she would find um, little ads um, in the back of magazines and newspapers. And you would either have to, I think, call or just send your, you know, cut it out, send your registration in, and that was it. And then that's how you met people. But I was really, like, it, I, I'm, you know, in listening to her, it, it always really made me grateful for the people that have paved the way for us, the people that made this normal. Now, I know nothing about this is normal, but it made it regular, and it gave us a community, and it gave us a family. Because when I was doing this, when I was doing this at 20 years old, when I just decided to go run in the woods by myself for a long time, just just to do it, I was all by myself, and I didn't know that didn't know that this was a thing. So yeah, pre-internet, it it had to be it had to be pretty cool. Yeah, picture showing up to like your first 50 mile or 100 mile race, carrying like a bottle of Gatorade. But right, I don't like, think they had bottles of Gatorade then. They didn't have well, bottles of Gatorade. I think like, I remember having having no knowledge of what you're gonna need for that type of race. Yeah. Right. Like think of how yeah. much technology we like, all the stuff we like carrying out, like GPS watches, like you got your like <laughs> pack with like your bladder in it. You got like special trail running shoes. Like picture showing up to whatever trail race it is. Like showing up to picture Gordon Ainsley showing up to freaking the West, like West running Western States the first time in jean shorts with like caches buried like on the course, right? Like well, it's, it's so crazy. That's what, like. that's what I used to do. I think cause my dad taught me, my dad, my dad was a marathoner and we, I would, I would hide water in certain spots. I'd go, I'd go on my route prior to, and just, you know, hide bottles of water um, we didn't, I never ate food. Like it was never, food was never an issue. I don't, um, but it was just, it was just water. Oh, and Gatorade gum. Oh my God. Did I like, do you remember Gatorade gum? Gator gum? Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. As a kid, <laughs> we loved that stuff. So, so if I was lucky, I had some Gator gum, but yeah, I'd hide water on the route. Um, I'd drive it beforehand and that was it. I had a little watch on my, you know, a little stopwatch on my wrist and the rule in my house was, I had to tell, I had to leave a note telling my family um, when I left, where I was going, and when I expected to be back. And as a kid, I learned even then, I would do out the math and I'd be like, oh, okay, I can do this run in an hour, but I would always make it like two hours longer <laughs> just in case, you know, just in case I decided like to explore or it took me longer or something, you know, or something like that. But, and, and yeah, this was, this was just normal, I don't know, normal behavior. If you're going to go out on a run. Oh, and my my dad was also really good. Um, we used to go get sneakers all the time down at Kelly's Pace and Mystic. And they were phenomenal. Um, John and his wife, uh, phenomenal fitting us. It was like a every time, you know, whether it was cross country season or track season, we'd go, you know, go down to the store and we'd see them. And we never got a say as to what our shoes were like Mrs. Kelly would be like, Oh, let me see your feet. And she, 
would go go in the back. We'd get I'd get to try on like two or three pairs of shoes, see which ones fit pass best, and she'd have us run a loop around the store, and that was it. And those were the shoes. Those were the shoes you got. You didn't get I didn't get a choice. Mrs. Kelly told me what I needed, and color definitely wasn't an issue. It's you you get what you get, and you don't get upset. <laughs> just just so people listening know, you're referring to. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. John Kelly of the yes. famed Boston Marathon, John Kelly. Yes. Yeah. And growing up, they were in our community and I didn't know it was a big deal. Like they were just, they were just Mr. and Mrs. Kelly and they were the people that, that we bought our running shoes from. I just knew like my dad would, you know, my dad told me that he was a good runner. Um, and you know, this, our, uh, these are our family outings. This was this was normal, <laughs> normal in our house growing up. So, yeah, just just John Kelly. I mean, no one's special there. <laughs> so, we should probably talk about where where we both are now. Um, I'm in, I'm in a really weird place. I'm in a really weird place right now, but I think it's opened the way for, for us to do this podcast because I had a little bit more, had a little, little bit more time on my hands. So. Cause you were laid up hard. Yep. 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 <laughs> about, about five years ago, I had a really bad bike crash and, and still the funny thing about that bike crash is, and I often think about this, you and I were supposed to ride together and I thought you blew me off and I was like, okay, you know, Sean blew me off. So I'm just going to go out and do my own thing. And I just went out on an easy ride and I'm driving, driving back. I'm riding back on my bike about two miles from my house. I had a really severe bike crash. Um, I broke my front, um, the front of my hips, the back of my hips, um, my sacrum L4, L5. Um, and then there's the, you know, serious road rash. I did damage to my head. My helmet was broken, my shoulder, my elbow, my legs, basically, basically like Humpty Dumpty style. I just, I just want to let you know, you're really selling, um, endurance sports, especially in regards to bike riding right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so I had this bike crash. Um, I survived. It was really awful. Um, I spent three months, uh, in a hospital bed. I did come back after that and I started, you know, I started running and I want to say about two years ago, I thought I had a severe case of um, tendonitis, but both of my ankles were bothering me, which was really weird. Like, and so I finally got it checked out. It turns out that I had a bone fragment uh, left in my ankle from that crash. Um, I was clipped in one of my, one of my feet came out when I fell um, one, my right foot stayed in the clip in, in my bike pedal. So when I fell, the bike was like wrapped around my body on my right side, if, if, if that makes sense. So my right side was really the one that took the brunt of the damage. So anyway, I learned two years ago that I had a bone fragment that was cutting into my Achilles tendon. I'd been running on this and living on this. And so I had to have that repaired. And then, um, the compensation that I was doing did damage to the other side. Uh, so now, um, 
as we speak right now, I've had an external fixator on my lower leg and my foot. If you don't know what it is, Google it. It's um, barbaric, um, extremely painful, but also very, very, very effective, surprisingly effective. Um, I'm just having for, a- Just for a visual of that so that people, I mean, no one's gonna Google it, let's be real. But it's essentially like I having, it. it's having like a freaking neck brace halo, but like attached to your like foot and ankle and like, ratcheting up your your grabbing dorsiflexion on your foot so that your toes are pointed more up i can put i can put pictures i'll put pictures in the show notes so (laughs) so it's there somebody wants to see it um but yes so that's been on my foot it's been on my foot for three months um and what it's essentially doing is reconstructing um the bones and soft tissue in my lower leg and what i have to do is i had to just tighten it two millimeters every day. Um, two millimeters does not sound like a lot until I think I, until you have 12 different, um, wires and ports going into, going into your foot and lower leg. So it's been a really painful, it's been a really painful couple months. Let's just, but like I said, I have this surgery coming up on April 1st. I'm a little I'm a little hesitant about this surgery and I'm thrilled to have this off. Um, but I think sometimes that hope is a killer. I think hope is, hope is a bitch and hope can take you down. (laughs) Um, I I do think I'm an optimist. I don't know. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm a realist. Maybe I'm an optimist, but hope scares me because I I think back when I was a freshman in high school, um, uh, my foot was broken in gym class playing volleyball. Just so you know, I hate volleyball. Like, uh, yeah, not not my scene. I was playing begrudgingly, um, broke my foot, and I had a cast um, on my lower leg for a few months, and it was a walking cast. Um, I was also in crutches, and it was really a drag. I missed running. I missed just, you know, just messing around with my friends, you know, being able to run down the hallway or being able to run outside or being able to get in and out of a car like a normal person, and I had this delusion that I would get this cast off and everything would be okay. Like, oh my God, my life's going to go back to normal. This cast is off. And oh my God, when this cast came off, it was so painful. It was probably almost more painful than the break. I was not able to walk on my foot. Um, Everything just got really tight and it was a really, really hard recovery. And I think about that and it's, I'm thinking about getting this external fixator off and I have no idea what it's going to mean and what it's going to look like. And I'm my doctor, I, you know, I've talked to him about my recovery and I'm trying to like nail him down and get, and get details. He's not going to give them to me. Right. But <laughs> I was like, so what does my recovery look like? And he's like, well, you're going to have to do lots of PT and you're going to have to move a lot. And I'm like, okay, but what are my limits? That's what I needed from him because I was thinking about registering for the Mount Washington race, which in retrospect probably wasn't, wouldn't have been the best idea, right? <laughs> but it seemed like a good idea. It's only only seven and a half miles, right? <laughs> so, and if anybody's ever done that race, it's what, seven and a half miles and what, 8,000 feet of climbing? It's a tough no, race. Think, yeah, it, it's, I think it's only 4,000 feet of climbing, um, but it's from essentially, um, you know, from- We're gonna have to check that. I think it's more because I have a I have a sweatshirt with it on the back. Yeah, you look at it. I think it just I think it just tells you what the top. The, I think the sweatshirt just tells you the top elevation. I believe. Okay. Um, 
but all right well i'll google it while sean's yeah while sean's checking that (laughs) so i was talking to my doctor and i'm trying to nail him down and he's like well you know you're just gonna have to use pain as your litmus test this is this is the problem right there and i said i don't think I don't think I feel pain like normal people do. And I I keep saying normal people. I don't know what normal people are, but I don't have a better word. I I explained to him, I said, look, by the time something hurts me, it's bad enough that I'm probably sitting in your office. And he just kind of smiled and he's like, well, you know, he would not not give me those limits. Um, so, so getting this thing off and trying to figure it out is is going to be really challenging. But in my head, I have made peace with I'm going to start by walking my dogs and surfing. I figured those two would be easy, non-impact. I could be ch- I could be as chill, or I could you know push as hard as I want. But somehow somehow I'm going to have to navigate this this um, this pain threshold because. This external fixator has repositioned my foot. I've gained 40 degrees of dorsiflexion. However, the real healing takes another year. So we have to see if my body allows my bones and connective tissues to stay in this position. So overdoing it really isn't an option. And I got to be honest, I don't know how to overdo it. Um, everything in my life is is black or white. I'm trying to find that gray. And I guess this injury is pushing me towards embracing that gray. So Mount Washington road race, side note, 4,600 plus feet of uh, elevation gain. It felt like 7,000. Well, I mean, some of the grades are, some of the grades are like 22%. Yeah, no, no, no. I know the, I know the height. I know the height of Mount Washington, but I'm wondering how much climbing we do. That's how much climbing it is. It is. Okay. All right. That's the vertical. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it probably felt like, felt like 10 actually <laughs> actually it's a really fun race i love that race um our team did get chosen for the lottery so it was probably a good thing that i didn't put my name in and our other coach sam he's the one leading the charge leading the charge on that race so it'll be it'll be good it'll be good for them yeah i mean it's a beautiful race if they can get to the top and uh i mean it's a a a killer it becomes a for most people, yeah. it becomes a run 100 yards, walk 100 yards, run 100 yards, walk 100 yards. Um, to give it in like perspective of what it's like to run essentially 5,000 feet straight uphill for seven miles. Seven, seven and change if you if you go with my elevation. <laughs> <laughs> Megan's elevation. 25,000 feet of gain over seven miles. But couldn't you see after that race, looking at looking at my GPS and going, well, no, I actually did 7,000 feet of climbing because I got lost. <laughs> I get I get lost a lot. So um, it, usually my distances are, are a bit over. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's that's where I am with this um, so in my recovery. Your PT is going to be like a year for that. I don't know. I'm really, I'm really stuck because PT, um, it's it's very hard to find a good PT in my humble opinion. Yeah, I really need somebody that's one not going to tell me I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody tells me I'm crazy, 
um, then I'm out the door because this is what I do. And uh, that's that's never going to change. So 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 the therapist that I have has to understand endurance athletes. Right. I do have a good PT that I used for um, three of my prior surgeries. And, you know, I'm beating around the bush. I'm going to be honest. I just don't want to. I'd rather just do I know what all the exercises are. I'd rather just do them on my own. Um, I don't want to, I'm sort of, wow. I'm sort of putting my, my foot down. I'm going to, and, and I am, it's on my to-do list. I am going to call them, get my records set up. The, the piece that I made in my mind was, you know what, let's try five to 10 sessions, see if it's helping. If not, I can always stop. That's, how frequent, how but, frequently are you going to have to go see the PT? Oh God. They usually want, I mean, at this level, they'll probably have me going in two days a week. But I, I mean, I just, See, that's the thing with me with PTs is like going in two days a week is not really like you want for me. Like right, I always want right. I always want the like the um, man, manual manipulation of like whatever it is that I'm like working through. Like I want to see a PT like three or four times a week when I'm like dealing with this, like doing exercise. Like you giving me like a list of exercise to do at my home seems super pointless. Like let me Google that stuff. But like I want the mani- manual manipulation. I want the like um, like any of the, um, healing treatments, like whether it be like dry needling or whatever, I, or grass and like whatever I need to do to like yeah. get the joint yeah. free or the, Ugh. and so, so that's just, like, that's what I, I want. just don't want, I gotta be honest. I just really am not looking forward to that. I just, I'm looking for any excuse not to do it. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it is painful and it's a huge time suck. And I just want to go back to, I just want to go back to let me work and run and live and live my regular life. That's my delusion. I'm going to, I'm going to call my PT. I am going to do it, but I, you know, it's begrudgingly. Well, it's the thing, right? Like we got to do the stuff Has I has we have to do the stuff to do the things that we want, right? As I've gotten older. Yeah. The stuff that I don't like doing, I have to do more. I have to do more mobility than I've ever wanted to do. I, I mean, I do. I, I stretch after running a lot of the times, which is. Oh, when did that happen? Yeah, well, I didn't say I got flexible, Megan. I just said I stretch now, right? Like <laughs> I've had to like, I've had into. I mean, I used to love lifting weights, right? And it, but as running took the priority, I stopped lifting, and now like I'm like, oh, I need to like. I need to incorporate lifting into my like time, right? I'd rather at this point I will sacrifice three miles to five miles of running in whatever day that I choose to lift so that I can get a like a strength session in because I need it. Otherwise, all the other stuff starts to fall apart. Like for me, like the abdomen stuff becomes, starts becoming an issue. The adductor stuff becomes an issue. And then I start having all those like aches and pains from my past injuries, like become, become prevalent. It's, it's interesting because as a, as a coach um, and as a paramedic, I know this, I know what you're saying is absolutely right. It's, it's common sense. Um, I think what's get I think what's getting in the way is it's just it's a lot of trauma. 
right? It's a lot of trauma that I've been through in the past five years. And I'm really, I'm really sick of dealing with it. I'm sick of dealing with it on the physical side. I'm sick of dealing with it on the psychological side. And I just want it to be over. I think that's, I think that's where this is coming from. And I, as you were talking, I, I, I know that's where my hesitancy comes from. It's, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a couple very, you know, it's a very big trauma that led into a lot of smaller traumas and a lot of just micro traumas of, you know, painful procedures and surgeries and stuff that I've had to have done and PT and acupuncture and seeing the chiropractor and all the stuff that I've done um, has been to heal from a crash that lasted 30 seconds if that, I don't even know if it, I don't know, I don't know how long it lasted. Um, I went over my handlebars and slid. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's trauma. And I think I could, I could be fine. Maybe <laughs> I could be fine. Just, just like, okay, you know, I'm not going to run anymore. I'm just gonna be a normal person. I'm just no, going to, you know, exercise to stay fit. This is what I tell myself. <laughs> but, but ultimately you're, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think I can. And there is some sort of drive in me that's pushing me through this as painful as it is. And I, I'm actually, I'm not grateful that I've been through this kind of trauma and, and people that have been in, in serious, you know, life, thre life threatening, you know, you, you almost die traumas know what I'm talking about. It's it it change it changes things in that moment, but it also changes things for the rest of your life and how you learn and how you're going about things and how you're doing things. And I want to be able to bring that experience forward and help other people that are going through this. At, as a paramedic, I can absolutely do that. I mean, when we have roadside you know crashes, when we're working ATVs, motorcycles, you know those are the ones we deal with the most. But I know what it feels like to be that person on the side of the road it, having you know all these people, all these people around you, and what that's going to mean for the you know for the rest of your life. Um, so yeah, so I'm under the delusion that I could be a normal person. I tell myself that, um, but it's probably not going to happen. I was talking to um, a mutual friend of ours the other day, and we were on a run, and uh, he's like, man, I just want to get into Western States, get that done with, have that run, and then I can, like, hang it up, drink beer, <laughs> like, play golf like a normal 40-year-old normal person, like, get fat. And he's like, he's like, and I know the minute that that happens, and I, like, start to get fat, I'm be like, oh, I got to start running again. I got to do something. Like, it's not – it's just – I think, I don't know if it's for me, like if it's the way I grew up that I'm wired that way, that I have to like push those limits. I have to like find that boundary and like, I have to keep pushing those limits and keep finding that boundary and I have to make it hurt. And I have to like come through on the other side that I feel that the rest of the life, my life fits into balance. Like, I don't know if, if that's the way I was like brought up or if it's, something that's inherent in the way like i'm made as like a human being i don't i don't know where that 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 thought process comes from and that's like but i was but your I find... mom or dad athletic no no hmm. 
So it's definitely a nature, a nature versus versus nurture issue going on there. I mean, because I was raised in a house that, you know, every weekend we went to a race with my dad, you know, and that's, it was like, that was just normal. And my mom, my mom's always exercised too. She's a normal person though, when it comes to exercise, like she'll walk and go to the gym and lift weights and she would never in a million years do do any of these do any of these races she's too i think she's too smart for that <laughs> yeah I, I wonder if it's just that i had has uh a young swimmer i had i mean i competed on uh, to a certain extent on a national level and um i competed like i was always better at the endurance side of things it was always I might not be the fastest. Like I'm not a sprinter. My muscles don't work that way. No matter what training you do, it's not, that's not the way I'm genetically built, but I can sit there and I can like, and I can, I will outwork you to the best of my ability. Like I will, I will, Megan's favorite word. I will suffer longer than you will to like, to get to the, to get to whatever it is. Um, you know, and, and I wonder if, if having, essentially squandered that opportunity is like as a um a kid that like it never felt fulfillment and that's why like I continue to to push that and as an adult my kids don't have the same drive that I do in that regard so it's definitely not inherent in like my DNA I don't think but maybe but you just touched on the title of the podcast it being uncomfortable right it's there's something inside us that we have to push the boundary. And, and I got to be honest, I do this in all aspects of my life, you know, whether it's academics, I'm pretty much always in school and, and always doing something. Um, if, if I'm doing it at work, doing it, you know, doing it physically. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I think that you're always a little bit more prepared than me for sometimes I get into these outings and I think it's just again, the way I was raised where I just go out and do them. And sometimes I forget like, oh yeah, probably should have packed a little more water for that. Or, oh man, that was, that was a lot of climbing. That took a lot longer. Whereas you would have your spreadsheet and have all that mapped out, <laughs> mapped out prior. Um, but yeah. So speaking, speaking of which, what, tell everybody what you're doing and what you're training for right now. What's going on with you? Oh, I'm getting old, Megan. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coming yeah, to grips are. with, I'm coming to grips with the, the realization that I am, um, that I am my natural body and progression as an adult is changing. And I'm on the, the other side of increasing an in athletic performance, at least in most regards. Now that doesn't mean I won't necessarily have a better race at some other race like a a ultra distance race because i'm a little smarter than i was or whatever the case may be but um i think we we touched on this the other day where i've had a really good training block right now um in the process of training for a marathon and um i did a which marathon sean i'm running boston you are I, i was strange right i was trying not to necessarily date the um podcast episode with that like time frame but yeah so train for boston i qualified for boston um because of weird covid time frames my uh marathon time from 2019 
still qualify me in this window. So here I am. Um, and as part of that training block, I ran a, a 10K race um, that I typically run yearly. Um, and I ran, but I've had a really good training block and I came into the race and I ran essentially 50 seconds slower than my PR at the same race with a similar training block. And mentally, I understand that I am, you know, six years removed from that PR, but like the physical effort still felt the same and the training and effort that went into the race still felt the same. It's just the leg turnover and strength and muscle mass no longer equates to the same as what it was when I was, I guess, 36, 35, 36, as it does today. Um, so that's a weird thing for me to try and grip mentally. And then I always kind of go back to like, like what Jesse was saying about like, I, or what Jesse was saying about like, I want to just drink beer and like play golf. Like, <laughs> do I just like, do I just like want to like have casual like hikes in the woods? Cause I do like, I love being outdoors. That's like part of like why I like run. And that's part of why I do like ultra runs and why I run long distances in the woods on a regular basis is as I've explained to people, I've, I mean, I meet hikers on the trail all the time and we sometimes will discuss what trail we're on, especially if they're like a continuous hiker. And I'm like, Oh, well I've like run this entire trail, like from here to here. And they're like, Oh, like how long did that take you? And I say, Oh, I did it in like 24 hours. And they're like, you ran this entire trail, like, and, and they, they equate to what they're going on a, you know, a six mile hike, maybe for, and it'll take them two to three hours casually. And then they're trying to put that into perspective. And they're like, well, don't you feel like you've missed everything? And I go, well, I run this section of trail that you're on, that you're spending two to three hours on. You will probably not hike again for the next till maybe next year. And I run this section of trail four times a week. I know every rock on this trail. I know every outlook. I know, I mean, I can tell you what tree to like bare left at versus bare right at, even though it's still both on the trail because it's a better line. On the, that is like the depth of the woods that I understand in the areas that I am in. And I don't think people grasp that because they figure that you're moving so fast that you miss out on it but I repeat it yeah, over it, and over and over again. Those, those routes that, those routes that I run all the time, I do have memories of a rock. I do have memories of a mushroom and of a tree. Like it's, and I could tell you the story about, Oh my God, that rock, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's, but when you, yeah, it, it is a different perspective having, you know, because hike, you know, when you hike it, and when you're actually, you know, running something for an FKT, it's a different perspective. But it's not neither is better or worse. It's just it's just different. And it's comparable to when I ride my bike on a route that I would a road route that I that I run, and I see all sorts of different things. I see different things when I run. I see different things when I ride. You know, same thing when I'm in the woods. When I take my mountain bike out, it's a completely different experience. Then when I run, but I see, you know, you see new things and I think it's just, I think it's just a way to, so it's a different experience. And I think that's what we crave. 
Yeah. So I don't know if like one day I just decide that I no longer want to run in the woods and want to hike in the woods only. That's well, like, that's a weird thing. Cause like, like I said, I wonder if it's the ability to push my limits, like I said, and like improve that drives me or if it's the active itself that drives me. Right. That's a good Do you, question. you know what I mean? Like, I, I know exactly I, what you mean, and I do not have the answer. If I stop, if I stop improving, will some of the um, joy and love that I have towards this start to fade? Will I have to, will I have to pivot and find something else to um, fill that need to like improve? And that's yeah, that's I really, think, but that's you're, really what it I'm makes it makes perfect sense. With. It's exactly what I was talking about, getting this external fixator off my leg. I don't, at this point in my life, I have no desire to hurt myself anymore. And I, and I know that sounds, that may sound weird, but for so many years, I just did so much damage with, with training and not eating right, not sleeping, not, you know, I just, when you know better, you do better. I don't have the desire to go out and hurt myself anymore. And so I don't know what that's going to look like when this is off. That's why immediately, like that, you know, surfing and walking the dog seem like, <laughs> seem like a very safe idea because if I try to go out there and run that, that just crosses the line. Right. And I think we, we all walk, we walk that line and st staying on the right side of that line is a little bit of a high too. Like, like when you nail it, it was so bad, you nail it, but you don't cross it, you know? And then, you know, you have those, you know, you have those long runs or rides or whatever, where you do cross the line and you blow up and it's freaking horrible. And like, why do I do this? Oh my God. But I think let's pretend you had one time where you just nail it and it's excellent. And then you have nine other times where it's awful. It feels like that one time, that one time that you nail it is is worth it <laughs> and well, i think right. that's i think that's what keeps me going you're you're probably right yeah the um right I, I people ask me all the time like having run long distances like well what's what's like a hundred mile it's gotta be the hardest race that you do and i explain all the time that a marathon is the hardest race i do oh, marathons are the worst because yeah, because right like so it yeah. is it is such a balance between like your um pace effort level and the distance you can push it to such an extent but like a slight step in the wrong direction mm -hmm. like just a little too much effort and the whole race is gone like in, yeah, in an for instant me it's, it's like it's redlining for for three to yeah. three and a half hours that's, yeah. all, that's all it is it, it reminds me of being a middle distance runner and let me tell you i hate middle distance but that's always i have speed and the endurance was something I had to work on when I was older. It didn't, it just, it didn't come naturally. It didn't come naturally once I was a grown up. But, um, but yeah, always just, just walking the line, you know, just walking the line and trying and trying to maintain. Um, yeah. And, and what I'm, it, it'll be interesting to see what this looks like for you after Boston and after the things that you're training for and where the heck I will end up uh, with, um, you know, after the surgery on Friday. 
So here's my question to you. If you're right, if you're concerned about um, like going out and pushing it too hard, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't want to do that anymore. Now, prior to dealing with this, and I looking for, I guess, a little more background into like your why get the fixator in the first place. Because you were you were biking mm-hmm. on, uh, yeah. in, you know, and doing a lot of biking. You couldn't run, right? Mm-hmm. You were having issues with running because of the uh, dorsiflexion and the um, and causing gait issues and stuff like that, which compensations and other issues, um, musculoskeletally. Um, now, if you don't want to push it anymore, would it, was it such an, would it have been such an impact on your life and your desire to just bike? Was it impacting your biking so much that you, that it would have also eliminated that? So that's a good question. Um, hmm. I think so after when I healed from from the initial bike crash um I started I started running and to this day I always have um an ache in my in my sacrum and in my low back I have to be really careful with my cuz it's just it's just a lot of broken bones that healed if if I overdo it I can definitely feel it in my hips in my low back I started so I ran, but then what started happening um, in my ankle, I just noticed that um, the flexing my foot, it became tighter and tighter and tighter. It it almost felt like a sprained ankle, but I didn't sprain my ankle. And what was happening, I, I do something called keloiding. And if anybody gets keloid scars, um, you'll you'll understand. But when you keloid, it means that you have a genetic tr- predisposition to forming excess scar tissue. That is me. Um, that can happen on the outside of your skin and it can happen internally. It does happen on the outside of my skin. And those, those scars have been treated with, uh, uh, uh steroid treatments. It, you know, just, um, like sub Q injections, right? But it just kept getting tighter and tighter. So I was like, okay, you know what? I just, I can just take a break from running for a while. And I was hoping that it would heal. And I was getting uh, PT, um, acupuncture. Um, I have a great chiropractor getting all these therapies and it helped, but nothing really made it better. And I, so I started riding in, in place of running <laughs> and, and I noticed like, I'm actually pretty good. And I always felt when I did triathlons, I always ended up like mid-pack when I was swimming. Never had any training as a swimmer. It was one of those things I just started doing. So, you know, I was okay, you know, mid-pack to, you know, maybe maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit more up front. The bike I always sucked on because there was so much technique that I never really learned. I just got on and, ro- and rode, which, you know, sort of my story. And then when I would run, I would catch up and, you know, all the people that passed me on the bike, I'd usually be able to catch them on the run. But when I started just biking, I noticed I'm a really good hill climber. Uh, I don't know where that, I don't know where that came from. I don't know how I can do it. My endurance is great. And I also, um, I'm what uh, people refer to as a diesel sprinter. So I can 
sprint at longer distances. So if we're doing a tenth of a mile, two tenths of a mile sprint, uh, you know, maybe it, maybe I'll do okay. But if you give me a little bit longer, you know, a half a mile to a mile, I can do really, really well, which circles back to, you know, what I guess, you know, I was a middle distance runner my whole life. And I actually, it was a lot for me to even get back on a bike. It took me three years and there was so much PTSD surrounding even just me standing next to my bike, touching my bike, being on my bike. And I got back on my bike in my basement on Zwift. And I also bought a fat tire mountain bike, actually a mid fatty. And I started riding that because the mid fatty felt very safe. You know, the, the wheels were nice and I was going on trails that weren't super technical and, and somehow, somehow riding became okay. Again, I lost I lost, I don't, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to bike race really strongly outside because I don't have the ability to be aggressive anymore. I know what it's like to eat pavement. Um, I said I was never going to get back on a bike, but who knows? Talk to me in, in a few years and maybe I will be able to race aggressively again. I just don't know that I have it in me. And even mountain biking, I, I never had a fear of falling before and now I have a fear of falling. And what guarantees you're going to fall? Fear of falling, right? So, yeah, so I just, I started riding a lot and I really, really, really like it. It's just, it's just not running. Running, running is my number one. And when, when I had the original cycling crash, one of, one of my orthos told me, cause you have a different, when you damage your body that badly, you have a different ortho for each body part. So I had an ortho for my hips, I had an ortho for my back, I had an ortho for my shoulder, and I had an ortho for my hand. The hip ortho guy told me that I was never going to walk again unassisted. He said, most likely I will be in a walker for the rest of my life. And that was fuel for me to go, hell no. <laughs> and no. And I think actually after that appointment, I think I ditched my walker, oh God, within three days. Cause I was like, screw you ortho. This just, it, it wasn't acceptable to me, but I had to make peace. I remember laying in my hospital bed, wondering if I was going to walk again. And in thinking to myself in the, in those really dark moments, if I can't walk again, I'm going to be okay. Like I had this inherent knowing I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay somehow, some way. And I didn't know what it meant. And still to this day, I think about laying in the hospital bed and saying that to myself and making peace that if I, if I'm one of those people that can never walk again, or I'm going to be okay. I don't know what that means uh, because it has left a huge hole in my life, not being able to just cover the cover long distances in the woods. But, you know, like I've been, like I've been doing for so long, it left it. It feels like that hole is in my soul rather than physically. Cause I can physically, I've, you know, I've been lifting weights and riding and doing a great job and I stayed extra fit, but there's something missing when I can't get out there and just breathe and be and take in whatever's going to happen outside. And I do most of my running and hiking by myself, but it is really nice when I have company and I, and I do appreciate that. And that's where this, you know, that's where this podcast comes in. We're going to finish these discussions that we started on the trail that we were never, you know, never able to finish. And 
maybe we can carry some of that spirit of, of being outside, you know, whether you're at the beach or on a trail, wherever you are, into the real world. Because if we could talk to each other like we could on the trail, not you and me, but I just mean, you know, people in general, if we could talk to each other like that, don't you think the world would be a better place? Is that me being pie in the sky or I don't know, it just feels like it'd be nicer. I think you live pie in the sky, Megan. I might. It's nice. I might. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if we could take, I think if we could take understanding and actually have discussions um, with people, I think the world would probably be a better place. I, I don't always agree with, um, me with not with anybody i mean i <laughs> i tend to, and i tend to and i tend to take a contrarian view like regardless of what my actual belief is just to further a discussion because i fun. yeah well i've seen you do that a few times <laughs> it, it, a lot of times it's i want to see i want a i i think most people should at least and, and, and whatever they they should see another side to whatever it is yeah. that they're they're looking at and on the, that same note is I like to see why their belief is strong in whatever it is, right? So I, for, for me, I like to gain the insight into why is it that you feel that way? Like what what drives you to to be that way? That's why I was asking you specifically. I was so, I mean, you were doing all right with the riding and like all this, and you have said that this device has, has been pretty torturous to like deal with. And, um, and is it, and that's why I was like, why I wanted to know, well, if you were already doing stuff that kind of, kind of satisfied that itch to push Mm -hmm. bodily, what, what the driving factor is. And then if it's, I mean, it sounds like it's, it sounds like, and I understand it in the, the sense when you're running in the woods it's almost um it's almost primitive it's almost being like an animal you know it's it sounds so cliche lame but um but you feel at one with everything that's around you in like I, mountain biking you don't feel that um there's just a mechanical separation there um road biking i mean you're you're in that you're in you're you're in a contained freaking uh even though it's a totally wild, uh, dangerous environment, it's a controlled environment that's created by man. Whereas like when you're out there just running in the woods, it's you as an animal being surrounded by nature and animals. And that's a very different feeling, I think, than anything else. At least that's a lot of the drive that I get Mm -hmm. out of that particular experience. I'm wondering if it's that primitive nature that allows our relationships and conversation to be so real and skip that superficial level. Right. Yeah, you might be onto something. All just animals, Megan. Just monkeys that use good tools. It, so as we're as we're wrapping as we're wrapping this up, I think you know what what Sean and I really want to do with this podcast is where we have some, we have a couple people coming on, just mid-pack runners, um, just to talk about their experience of, you know, of the ultra community. We're also just going to talk about things that we disagree on, 
we, you know, we have a list of topics, maybe some things that we agree on. And going back, I think one of the arguments that I think you and I have this, it's not argument, you and I have this argument, discussion, debate every single freaking time we talk, right? I think it comes up every time because I think you like to poke me and it's easy. But when you use the word suffering, yep. it makes me cringe. It makes me cringe. So, Sean, when you say suffering, what does it mean to you? <laughs> I'm, being a little, I'm being a little I'm being a little sarcastic there but seriously what do you mean by suffering well suffering is just dealing with discomfort right like I mean it is it is being in a uncomfortable situation like a dis like like maybe this discussion Megan um <laughs> to am I making to, you am I making you uncomfortable no but it is um okay it is it I mean the definition of suffering right is to experience something that is unpleasant Mm, yeah, yeah. Right, like that's the that's the. <laughs> you're not simple, wrong. You're not simple wrong. definition of it. And your, I think, where we differ on this is your belief where, where you that poke, where you poke me on this, I should say, <laughs> is that you don't believe that suffering can be self-induced, and mm, It's not that it's self. It's not that it can't be self-induced, because th because in that sense, you could say to me, well, Meg. You're, what you're going through with your leg reconstruct being reconstructed, it is self-induced. So that's not suffering, right? Uh -huh. I think that, so the suffering to me, what, what that word means to me, and I have pictures in my mind of a parent losing a child, um, a child losing a parent, you know, when that child is very young, or somebody losing a loved one to drug addiction, or watching a family member or friend suffer from mental illness. I think of these these things in life that we fall into that we can't control. So it's not about being self-inflicted. It's about being able to control it. And I think all I those think things that you listed, though, are emotional or mental suffering vice physical suffering. Okay, take, you can put my leg in that category. We can that the the crash that I've been through, that what I've gone through over the past five years has absolutely been suffering. And I I think of suffering as a situation that we're stuck in and that we can't get ourselves out of, or that we know we just have to endure. And and it makes me cringe when we're talking about sport in races as suffering, because I think that I am so privileged to be able to do what I do, like to be able to take 10 days and go and run a race. I, I am extremely fortunate. And not only that, I paid for it. I trained for it. I planned for it. Like I've made sacrifices. My family's made sacrifices. So I don't think that's suffering. I think it's, un I think it's being uncomfortable and the word suffering to me just has just has it just has a much deeper meaning and it sounds so flip when people say that oh i'm on a i'm on a suffer fest or oh my gosh i'm suffering so badly in this race i don't know why i just broke into accent to say that but <laughs> it if it's you i will be like oh my god sean and i'll correct you every time if i hear a stranger say it I might physically or mentally roll my eyes. I've seen a lot of suffering in my life. 
Uh, I've seen a lot of people hurting and I just, I think I just can't get those, those well, pictures out of my head. Well, here's the thing, like with the endurance sports, with like pushing your body, with getting into points in any event that you're doing, whether it be like MMA or um, riding your bike or swimming or mountain biking or climbing Everest, there are points in that in that attempt, in that event, whatever it might be, that you are suffering. And what it does is it trains you emotionally and mentally, physically to endure the uncontrolled suffering that may come in your normal life. I think people that, right, people that have either either dealt with suffering in their exter- in their in, in their life externally have an, a better ability to deal with internal suffering when it comes to choice suffering, right? So, so there are some things that are not choice suffering, right? Like your leg, even though it is physical suffering, is still choice suffering, right? There were there, you, you had other options. I mean, to a certain extent, right? Um, but you chose that route and hopefully the outcome will help you grow and be a better person. I think at least that's, that's the way I look at it. Like I look at the choices I make in a lot of the races I do. And I can say 100% of the time for any race that I've ever done, there has been points in the race that I've been, this totally sucks. I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm going to continue doing it. But Sean, at that point, you can step out. You can step out at any time. It's not like you're on a baton death march where you have you have Megan. somebody with a gun at your back making you forcing you to do it. That suffering. You what we you are can, doing you can, is you can you can check out of a lot of suffering in a lot of different ways. Like people check out of suffering all the time, right? No, no, like, I mean, but I mean you can leave it. You could step out of that race and be done. And I think what you're talking about in regard to sport, you are uncomfortable and you hurt. And it's, it's, it's at any time we can go to an aid station, we could pick up our phone, we could pick up our inReach and signal for either help or a rescue or don't, don't call for a rescue unless you really need it. I think I need to put that disclaimer on there, but you know, or we could get somebody in an aid station to give us a ride back. I think it's important for me to remember that what I do is a privilege. Oh, and it's, I feel 100% like 100% it is a gift. That is, I, yeah. I tell people on it. I've heard, I've heard people say that, that anytime anyone says to me that every run is awesome Every ride is awesome. Yeah, I tell them they're yeah. full of shit. Every ride may be a gift, but not every ride or every run is awesome. Like oh, there's, no. there's like, I wish. there's work and grind involved in it. And if there's not, you're not doing something right. But I think there's plenty of ways to check out of real life. I mean, there's plenty of people yeah. that, plenty of people that like are suffering and we'll choose other methods to check out of that suffering. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, 
But there's a difference between checking out of the situation and being able to step out and lead the situation. So let's pretend um, I lost a child. uh There's nothing I can, I I haven't lost a child, just so I said that. But there's no point in my life where I could say, I'm done with this. I want to go home, right? And I feel like in a race or on a ride or on a run or whatever it is, at any point I can be like, man, the conditions suck. I'm going there's, home. There's the, there's the ultimate checkout, Megan. Yeah, but you can't leave a situation that you're truly suffering from. I'm going to say that. I, and I think that you may be suffering at a moment but not necessarily for eternity like i've lost like i've lost both of my parents right so mm-hmm. um and i'll be i'll be 100 honest like with that i don't think i suffered in losing my parents now my sisters and, and my other family members may feel differently about when my parents passed um or when their their parents passed but i still don't think being sad that someone is gone is not necessarily suffering either. Well, it's, but that's why I said, that's why I said death of a child or death of, you know, I was trying to think of, I was trying to think of something that was unimaginable to me. Um, and that is, that is one circumstance that I see people go through. That's, that's unimaginable. It's, it's an issue of semantics. Uh, I, I don't, I think we're both, I think we're both saying the same thing. I think we're using I think we're using different words, but it will be something that you and I will debate I think for the rest of our friendship together. So if we know each other for another 50 years, every time you call me on the phone, you're going to be like, "Oh my god, I just had a run and I was suffering so bad just so just hot, for me to so go." So suffering. <laughs> just for me to go. "Oh my god, Sean, you are not suffering. Let me tell you what suffering really is." <laughs> It never gets old. I mean, we've been doing this for years. It's just <laughs> we just see things differently, Megan. But it's okay, right? Yeah, it it is because I think we're I think we're saying the same thing. I really do. Um, but in the meantime, I do think that we are both so grossly grossly just privileged to be able to to be able to have a podcast, to be able to you know to be able to go outside and run and. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to take any of that for granted, suffering or hurting or uncomfortable or whatever it is. Maybe all of the whole thing just allows us to be in a place where we can be better human beings and be more real and be more kind to each other. More people need to suffer, Megan. Yeah. More people need to be uncomfortable. Fair enough. However, however you want to, however you want to define that. They tell us like we, you know, comfort is what we seek in society, right? You got to, you know, this, this chair, this couch, you got to watch this TV, you need this phone, we need to make your life easier, we need to make your life more convenient. I don't know that, that, that that's entirely true. I don't, I think we need to be uncomfortable. I think we need to stay on the edge to just grow because I got another, I got another half a life to live. And I'm not content staying where I am right now. And the suffering 
of what I've gone through. I'm using that word deliberately over the net over the last five years, you know, since since that crash and since you know six different surgeries, whatever it is. Has the suffering made me a better person? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but it's definitely raised it's definitely raised my awareness as to what I like. Like I miss being outside. I miss being active. I miss those things. And I don't think I could live a life without it. Well, like think about this, right? Running a hundred miles, running a fifty mile, whatever when you're doing a long distance race, right? And you get done with that race and you take a shower. Oh, yeah. Best, best fucking shower yeah. ever, right? Yep. Like you really mm-hmm. appreciate that like simple thing that you take for granted every day. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's kind of like that whole thing is like when you suffer um mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. you really appreciate the 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 smaller things, I think. And I think a lot of people When you're uncomfortable. Yeah. I think I think people <laughs> I think people really take a lot of a lot of that stuff for granted, right? And they need they need to really feel some discomfort in their lives. That is a huge motivation for me when when I'm in the middle of a race in some or any kind of event that I'm doing when it gets hard and I want to just stop. I think what what am I going to feel like when I'm in the shower and eating afterwards? Because, you know, yeah. you take a shower, you eat, you rest. When you're looking back on on what just happened, are you, am, am I going to be proud of myself? Or am I going to be like, I quit way too soon? And, and so I, I actually think I think about that a lot. That's that's one of my biggest motivators is how, how am I going to feel afterwards? Right. So well, Megan- it sounds like yeah, we got a lot to. We got a lot to talk about, and I think that hopefully we can get some interesting people on, and we'll keep our we'll keep our subjects we'll see keep our subjects I don't know relevant and enough so that we can have uh, what's the word um, respectable respectful respectful disagreements on because you're never going to change and I'm never going to change so well hopefully we can grow a little bit even if we don't change. I am such a good person right now. I don't want to grow. I don't want to be any better. Just, just, can I just be, I'm going to be content. A spiritual and, pillar you are, Megan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be content and chill out and maybe just eat and get fat and sit on the couch. Maybe. No. Sort of. So, <laughs> so here's my question for you to wrap this up. What are you listening to this week, Megan? Well, this week, what well, what we're gonna do is after every <laughs> podcast, Sean and I are gonna pick are gonna pick songs that songs that we like, and the song that I'm gonna play uh, after this podcast is "Drive By Truckers," never gonna change because I think it's I think it's an appropriate um, tongue in cheek place for where we are right now, and the "Drive By Truckers" are just cooler than cool, and I never get tired of listening to them. Right on. Well, All right. It was awesome. Yeah. So until uh, until next week, and we'll keep these we'll keep these posted and regular. If you want to leave a comment and you want to rate us, that would be so appreciated. We're going to be sharing this podcast 
on our podcast website, on our Zendurance Now website. Please share, please tell a friend. If you've taken anything out of this podcast, um, please feel free to reach out to me and Sean. We're all over social media, and that will be um, in the podcast notes, how to reach us as well. But we want to hear what you have to say and what your thoughts are. And thanks for thanks for being with us, and thanks for making an effort to just be a real person in this world. And let's let's try to just skip over the superficial stuff. Let's try to be nice to each other, even when we don't disagree. Just so, just so we don't suffer anymore. There you go. <laughs> Awesome. Talk to you later, Peggy. Catch you later, Sean.
person the man I want to be. 